we're here today for the Adepec Virtual Energy Dialogue, and I'm delighted to be joined by Musaba Al-Kabe, the Petrochemical and Petroleum CEO at Mubadala Investment. Musaba, good to be with you. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Jason, and uh, thanks for hosting me. Uh, so we chatted last year at uh, the Adepec Conference. We're here again for a continuation of this um, conversation. Just if you could start, it's been such a remarkable year in so many ways since I saw you last in Abu Dhabi. Talk a little bit, uh, especially for listeners who may be less familiar with Mubadala, uh, about about what the company is, portfolio and priorities are now, but especially how COVID-19 has impacted the company, what have been the biggest challenges for you, and how you've <clears throat> coped with that as, as a leader. Yeah. Well, obviously, uh, Jason, uh, we're experiencing something unprecedented, uh, something we haven't seen uh, before. So uh, predicting the market uh, is a big challenge. And uh, we're doing what other investors are doing. We're uh, trying to adjust our activities to cope with a new reality. Um, COVID-19 has disrupted every business sectors we're, uh, we're investing in. So our job currently is to primarily uh, weather the storm, uh, try to also steer our strategy uh, in a way that you know we, we, we position the company for the next uh, uh, phase of its growth. Um, Mubadala, as you mentioned earlier, it's a sovereign wealth, wealth fund, uh, asset under management of $229 billion. Uh, we're active in many sectors, so uh, not only in the energy space, but in the technology, uh, life sciences, pharmaceuticals, uh, information uh, technology, and uh, almost 15, 15 different sectors. And uh, yes, I think uh, COVID-19 proved to be very challenging to everyone globally, and we are no exception. But it is hopefully creating opportunities and a different perspective on the investment environment going forward. What's the impact been on, on UAE and on Abu Dhabi, which obviously depends uh, heavily on oil revenue? We've seen this huge price collapse. How do things feel there? How does the economy feel right now? Yeah, well, uh, it has been impacted like everyone else uh, in the world. But uh, the good thing about what the UAE is about is we started uh, an, uh, a vision long uh, time ago, almost 2008, uh, to uh, uh, diversify the economy away from oil and gas. Uh, we are still on that journey going forward, but uh, COVID-19 and uh, the previous drop in the oil prices back in 2014-15, I would say put an acceleration mode into that vision. So uh, the government has been extremely laser focused on uh, pushing that agenda going forward and trying to diversify the economy. Uh, so overall, when you think about the UAE and comparing the UAE with the neighboring and in the region, I think we're satisfied with the progress uh, done and uh, we're uh, in that journey and we're becoming less and less uh, volatile and more resilient when it comes to the commodity price, especially oil, oil prices. Uh, but yes, there is a vision and uh, the government is, uh, is fully behind. Uh, that vision and uh, very committed to uh, to help. Mubadal is also part of that vision and we're uh, trying to, uh, wherever possible, try to push that agenda going forward. Uh, the UAE in general also dealt very professionally with the COVID-19 uh, situation. We are one of the highest or the highest 
uh, testing per capita globally. So more than 50% of the population uh, has been tested. We're uh, uh, putting the right protocols in place uh, to uh, minimize and flatten the curve, try to also drop it as, uh, as much as possible. So overall, um, I'm, I'm glad to see the UAE ranked one of the top countries globally to deal with the COVID-19. Uh, from the health point and uh, point of view, uh, to the uh, economic and uh, the measures put in place to uh, eradicate and minimize the, the negative impact of COVID-19. We are uh, forward-looking and hopefully next year we will see more and more initiatives and uh, that proved to be, uh, you know, I would say that the government vision has proved to be very efficient and uh, practical. When do you, in terms of the outlook, when do you think oil demand reaches pre-COVID levels? And, and do you think the result of COVID-19 will be to permanently change the outlook for oil demand? Are there certain patterns to the way we work and travel, uh, air travel and the rest that you think will, will, will not look the same going forward as they did in the past? Yeah, back in January, uh, December 2019, uh, if you recall, P, uh, I would say oil demand globally was around 100 million barrel of oil per day. Uh, we've seen a significant drop in uh, March, April, uh, almost 30% drop in the, uh, suddenly in the oil demand globally. So that led OPEC Plus to put the right uh, plan in place to stabilize the market. Um, currently, we're very happy to see the oil demand going back to the levels of, let's say, 90s. It's a number between probably 90 to 93 now. And, uh, but there are segments, Jason, of the demand would uh, take longer than uh, expected to recover. The one, the one is the, uh, the airlines sector and uh, the jet fuel. Uh, so the jet fuel will probably take two to three years to go back to the pre-COVID-19 levels. Um, but the other sectors of the demand were, you know, were, were satisfied that we've seen a significant recovery uh, back to almost uh, pre-COVID-19 uh, levels. So yes, the recovery has been, I would say, an acceptable level of recovery. We're expecting more recovery to come next year. But for the uh, jet fuel, I think it will take maybe two to three years to go back to COVID-19. Now, the big question mark, what is the long-term impact of COVID-19 on the oil demand? Uh, well, there is no doubt that it created uh, a disruption. Uh, I think the way we see the world post-COVID-19 will be totally different. I'm confident that it will be less traveling, uh, less, uh, you know, uh, certain sectors in the economy will have less activities, which will translate probably into a, a lower demand in that particular uh, sector. But uh, let's project to the year 2030, 2040. We still think that uh, there will be an acceptable level of growth in the oil demand, uh, potentially up to 2030, and uh, where we anticipate a peak demand or peak de de global demand. Uh, so uh, yes, you, you anticipate be... peak demand around 2030. Is that what you? We're 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 saying that you know based on the latest projections, uh, uh, the 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 it's you know around 2030. Uh, uh, some analysts probably push it forward, some push it uh, earlier. So uh, uh, that's the uh, consensus in the industry now, is that we may see a peak oil demand sometime along uh, in the next uh, 10 years plus or minus. 
So, uh, so to summarize, I think for COVID-19, we're expecting a disruption, major disruption in the demand uh, in the short term. Uh, we've already seen it in 2020. We're expecting to see also the continuation of that disruption in 2021. Uh, but if you project your horizon to uh, 10 years down the road, I think we will go back to an acceptable level of growth and potentially taking us to the uh, uh, peak demand around 2030. So in that scenario, it, it takes a, you know two or three years to recover, and, but, but then demand is still growing. We haven't seen peak demand yet. If that's yeah. correct, the response to what we've seen in COVID-19, which is shut-ins globally that may cause some degree of, of, of permanent loss or damage, major CapEx cutbacks, and obviously many majors are reporting historically large losses. The outlook for shale growth in the years ahead is lower today than people would have thought a year ago, in, in part because capital is harder to get and also some of the social pressures, which I want to come to and ask you about. Do you think there's going to be, uh, are we setting ourselves up for an underinvestment cycle? Do you think we're not investing enough, given what you just said about the demand outlook? Yeah, well, I think in 2014 and 15, we had similar argument, Jason, if you recall. And we thought, you know, underinvestment will translate into a supply uh, uh, shortfalls in the future. This time, I see it differently. Uh, for the reasons you mentioned, uh, there is a pressure on uh, big IOCs. Uh, there is a pressure from the investor community. There is uh, government policies, climate change. Uh, so I think if you put these uh, in perspective, I doubt that there will be a massive investment in the upstream uh, sector, especially from IOCs uh, going forward, which will create space for national oil companies and privately owned companies to play in that space. So yes, there is probably this time is different because of uh, the uh, reasons we mentioned climate change, ESG consideration, government policies uh, that put pressure on uh, the, you know, the conventional players uh, to expand on the upstream. So I think, yes, uh, to, to summarize it, I think there will be episodes in the near future where we see a potential disruption in the supply. And the emerging winners would be the likes uh, of national oil companies and privately owned companies. Uh, they can play in, the, in, the, in that space. I want to ask you also about sort of the outlook you see for gas and petrochemicals, which is important to Mubadala. But since you brought up the, the ESG pressures and yeah. um, driven by the fact that, you know, trying to come anywhere close to the ambitious climate targets in the Paris Agreement would take pretty historic shifts between now and 2050. And we've seen some of the prominent announcements from big oil firms like BP, Equinor, Shell to be net zero by 2050 to transition away over time from being oil firms. Obviously, BP just said it was going to ramp up its clean energy investment, let its oil production decline. Uh, what do you make of these announcements from 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 big oil? Are, are they real? What impact do you think they have for the industry? Is that a direction you could see um, uh, companies uh, like Mubadala and, and others in the in, in, in the region following? some of the state-owned yeah. enterprises? Well, I think um, based on what we see, let's, let's, let's take uh, uh, things in perspective. So let's project the energy demand by 2030 or 2040 or 2050. Uh, in these scenarios, uh, Jason, we always see that the oil and gas will remain, I would say, a significant part of the future energy demand. So which means we have uh, a responsibility to supply the world with the, with, the, with the required energy to meet the demand in the future. Uh, 
I think there is a pressure on the IOCs. Uh, investors are also uh, putting more and more pressure on them to uh, to address the ESG and climate change uh, uh, more aggressively than what we've seen historically. I think it is the uh, responsibility of the IOCs, uh, of the producers, including national oil companies, to uh, try to strike the right balance between uh, these factors. And one area that they can play more aggressively on is the deployment of technology, the decarbonization of the, uh, of the, um, you know, operation of the production, and ultimately, hopefully, deploying uh, technologies that will minimize or eradicate the, uh, the emission. I keep telling the team here in Abu Dhabi is that, well, oil and gas is not bad, emission is bad. So let's do something about emission. And there are some emerging technologies that could help national oil companies and IOCs to address that uh, issue. I think what industry did in the last 20 plus years was uh, they put themselves in a defensive mode. And I, uh, if, if time goes back, I think they should have probably embraced these uh, trends and play more proactive role by deploying and promoting technologies that minimize the carbon footprint of their production and their operation and try to come up with innovative uh, technologies to address uh, this issue. By the way, I, I see probably a similar trend in the downstream with the petrochemicals. And I think with the petrochemicals, it's very important and critical for the petrochemical players to uh, be a proactive, try to address the plastic waste issue and not be in a state of denial. And uh, we see a strong movement within the industry to tackle uh, the plastic waste. So. I, I, I'm optimistic that the technology will help the industry as well to address these big headwinds and big challenges. And uh, I remain optimistic that we will see some emerging technologies that address these issues. Yeah, I mean, you're certainly right that the outlook today, the baseline case would, would, would be continued growth in oil demand, uh, at least in our modeling, for, for some time to come. Th those outlooks are, are not consistent with then meeting the kind of temperature stabilization targets that people have for 2050. And so the question, I guess, is whether you see Europe passing the green the green deal recently. South Korea, I think, just became the first country in East Asia to pledge to be net zero by 2050. We'll see what happens in, in my own country in November. Vice President Biden's climate plan now has carbon-free electricity by 2035. These are hard to achieve. These are very ambitious. Um, but um, do you, do you see a trend of rising policy ambition and more policies that try to reduce emissions that that meaningfully could change that outlook? And then actually the outlook for oil and gas might look a little bit different. And then how does a company yeah. like Mubadala, you know, prepare to be resilient to that? Well, uh, I think you're right, uh, Jason. We see many government policies around the world trying to push the agenda of uh, decarbonization stronger. Uh, well trying to have a vision and that if that vision is practical or not is uh, you know another debate uh, but uh, let's monitor two uh, uh, you know uh, trends one of them is the government policies and as you mentioned now even asian players who historically been heavily dependent on uh, oil and gas uh, are uh, joining the club and trying to put the right vision right government policies in place uh, to decarbonize their, uh, their economic activities. So government policy is one. The other one is the technology. Let's not underestimate the impact of technology. So the technology would play probably uh, two key roles. One of them is uh, uh, empowering the uh, green economy by introducing the introduction of EVs, 
uh, electrification of the transportation sector. That's one trend that no one is unstoppable. It's going in the right direction. But again, st starting from very low pace. The other technology that I am hopefully uh, and opt remain optimistic about is technologies that will enable us to continue producing the natural resources, yet with the minimum possible carbon footprint. And uh, there are you know, many available technologies like carbon capture, uh, you know, putting more efficiencies, eradicating, eliminating flares in the operation. So all these initiatives should provide, I think, the right uh, uh, framework to uh, deal with the climate change uh, uh, you know, agenda. Now let's uh, zoom in to Mubadala. In Mubadala, we've been a responsible investor. Uh, we um, you know, invested in renewable energy very long time ago, I would say, especially in the region. Uh, with the uh, master, uh, you know, initiative at that time, and we're we're seeing master becoming a global, I would say, player in the renewable energy. So yes, we invested in oil and gas, but equally we also put big efforts uh, and commitment into the sustainability and the renewable agenda, and uh, we are very proud to build the very strong, uh, uh, clean energy business uh, within our portfolio. We will remain very active investor in that space, and uh, we see more growth uh, in the future. So as Mubadala, as we see this uh, energy transition uh, going forward, we're adjusting our uh, strategy. And uh, remember, Jason, we're, we're uh, an investor, and an investor will think of uh, you know, uh, what the future will look like, and uh, how can I make an acceptable financial return on these mega trends happening to the to the world, so yes, we will. Uh, we 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 we've been a responsible investor. We will continue to be a responsible investor, and we have invested uh, significantly in uh, all sources of energy. But particularly, we were very pioneer when it comes to the uh, uh, renewable energy. And and as you said in the beginning, you're an investor not only in oil, gas, petrochemicals, but also technology. And and I always enjoy our conversations because I I know you think a lot about how technology might change the energy space moving forward, in terms of production uh, and in terms of decarbonization. Um, so let me ask you about a couple of those. Um, hydrogen. Uh, your your neighbor yeah. Saudi Arabia and Air Products made a big splash recently with a huge new green hydrogen project uh, renewables to make uh, ammonia as shipping fuel how do how do you see the evolving future of hydrogen ammonia uh, is this going to be a major part of the chemicals portfolio yeah well uh, mubadala acknowledged the uh, this we identified these trends uh, i would say a few years back so hydrogen we recently joined the hydrogen council and uh, you know we're looking forward to have a, a very uh, interesting and constructive uh, discussion uh, with them. So yes, hydrogen uh, is, uh, is, uh, is, is uh, attracting all the spotlights at the moment. And we think it, it addressed some of the inherited issues with the conventional renewable energy, uh, being solar or, uh, or wind. Uh, what makes it very interesting is the ability to generate uh, uh, clean energy at very low cost. So drop in the solar energy, the wind energy recently is enabling uh, uh, hydrogen to expand more and more. Uh, you mentioned the recent announcement in Saudi Arabia. It's interesting concept. 
uh, it is, I'm sure, uh, there is an investment and strategic reason behind it. And uh, yeah, I think it's a, a very interesting space. We're uh, currently updating our view on the latest number we, we've seen. And uh, we're trying to you know, align our strategy uh, to put Mubadala in the right track when it comes to these emerging energy trends. And do you have thoughts about sort of whether we're going to see this really play out in blue hydrogen um, gas reformation with carbon capture or in green hydrogen um, electrolysis? Yeah, Jason, I would say both. And uh, uh, sometimes I tell my, 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 my team here in Abu Dhabi, I say, you know what? Hydrogen is very close to us. And uh, historically, we've been working on hydrocarbon. So let's just for a moment remove the carbon and keep the hydrogen and let's uh, explore that space. It is, you know, it, uh, the, the, the region is, uh, is blessed with, uh, with a significant uh, reserve high, uh, in the oil and also on the, on the natural gas. So yes, I think the concept of uh, carbon capture, blue hydrogen would, uh, would uh, make sense, given the fact that the, the, the region is blessed with uh, huge reserves in, uh, in natural resources. Uh, it is interesting also to see that the technology is advancing. Uh, I remember we had similar uh, discussion around the solar. If you recall, 10 years back, solar was uh, uh, solar cost or electricity or power duration from solar was, I would say, high and uh, prohibitively high in some places in the world. But with the current trend, you see it becoming so, I would say, competitive with the other sources. So I'm optimistic also to see that the technology in the hydrogen space will follow the similar trend and the technology will enable the, the hydrogen to play more, more role in the future energy uh, demand and uh, production. And what do you see as the outlook for carbon capture technology? You've mentioned it a few times. It, 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 yeah. it is real. There are projects around the world today. It is expensive. Do you see that coming down in cost enough to be a viable decarbonization option for uh, large energy companies? I think it might become in the future that we might see a future where uh, carbon capture become a necessity, not an optional, because of the social pressure on producers. And uh, definitely the technology also will, will help in dropping the, the cost of carbon capture. So yes, I think with the trends we see in the, in the industry, uh, there is a possibility that we see carbon capture becoming a mandatory and not an optional uh, option for the uh, for the producers. Do you think, um, I mean, this may, may, may obviously looks different if you're at Mubadala or Adnoc than maybe if you're at Exxon, Chevron, or an independent in the Permian, but these these social pressures, the ESG pressures that you have talked about, what, what impact do you think they will have on access to capital for some of the large energy companies? And what does that mean for investment moving forward? Yeah, I think, uh... Definitely, the ESG is becoming a, 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 a hot topic now. Uh, so the financial and the, the financial institutions are uh, debating, uh, you know, the impact of ESG on their activities going forward. The ES, the uh, IOCs, some of them are under pressure as well. So uh, I think we will see more and more uh, ESG consideration in any activity we do in the in the in the economy. Uh, of course, the pressure on the uh, uh, publicly traded companies like the IOCs would be much higher and much bigger than 
the pressure we see on uh, uh, national oil companies. Um, so the national oil companies will uh, will acknowledge the ESG, will put the efforts to minimize uh, the carbon footprint, and will try to push for new technology that will minimize the uh, the CO2. There, the the I think the um, situation with IOCs would be slightly different because uh, there will be more and more pressure from the investor and uh, community uh, for them to uh, take ESG, uh, you know, and uh, put the right framework around ESG and try to do uh, uh, things in ESG compliant going forward. And you mentioned petrochemicals uh, a few times, which, which is an important area of investment and expansion for, for UAE and for Mubadala. Um, if you look at the projections from, say, the International Energy Agency, it is um, the largest source of demand growth for oil. Yeah. But as you mentioned, there is also a lot of concern and backlash to plastic waste and pollution. What, what do you see as the outlook for global expansion of petrochemicals? Yeah. I remain very optimistic when it comes to the petrochemical. I think the demand looks uh, robust going forward, and it will also enable the uh, parts of the decarbonization future and the artificial intelligence, the industrial revolution 4.0 uh, to be realized. Uh, however, there is headwind, and we know that. The uh, plastic waste is a big issue, and I think it's very critical, very important for the uh, petrochemical producers to acknowledge that, embrace all the policies and uh, you know procedures to eradicate uh, the uh, plastic waste issue. Uh, when it comes to the plastic waste, Jason, it's slightly, it, I would say dramatically, dramatically different than the climate change because uh, plastic waste is a human behavior. So if you, uh, you know, uh, improve or put the right uh, policies or guidelines around using plastic, I think we, we have the potential to eradicate that uh, risk. Mubadala and the companies we invest in are very committed to uh, to push the agenda on circular economy, and uh, you know plastic waste also re uh, 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 removal. So we're very active in different uh, fronts to uh, tackle that issue. Uh, I remain optimistic because I think, or I believe, the the industry will push more and more into circular economy, uh, plastic recycling and uh, putting the right efforts to uh, clean uh, you know some of the uh, areas where we see a significant plastic waste uh, you know contamination yeah we certainly need more recycling and, and better behavior i think there probably will be more pressure also on single use plastics and finding alternatives for those so i guess the question is how much does that dent the outlook for petrochemical demand yeah, we, uh, you know, the when you look at the uh, typical, uh, uh, you know, petrochemical companies, especially polyethylene, uh, the single-use plastic is uh, contributes small portion of their uh, total production, uh, but there is a strong drive and move within the players to, uh, you know, to focus more and on, uh, on the uh, the other applications for plastics and try to minimize or completely remove the single waste, single use uh, uh, plastic in, in their portfolio. Um, I see that also uh, the agenda for a circular economy is, is, uh, is, uh, is moving forward uh, through our exposure in Europe and also in North America. It is becoming a hot debate, a hot topic, I'm sure at um, 
many uh, petrochemical board uh, meetings. And, uh, you know, I remain optimistic because I see that there is a genuine and strong uh, commitment from the producers, uh, petrochemical producers, to tackle this issue and put the right, uh, you know, uh, uh, plan in place. Yeah, I think we just saw Dow Chemical come out with a plan for how they're going to try to decarbonize the sector by, by 2050. And But the point you just made a minute ago is an important one that I think is often not well understood. There's a lot of focus on single-use plastic waste like plastic bags and straws and other things, and, and we should, of course, reduce those. But but those actually are not the primary drivers of the growth in, in petrochemical uh, demand in terms of how yeah. petrochemicals tend to get used. Um, it, this relates also to what I want, I want to ask you about the outlook for, for, for gas uh, markets globally and for gas demand. The IEA projects industrial consumption of gas for chemical feedstocks to increase quite rapidly, I think around a 3.5% annual growth rate thanks to new fertilizer and methanol projects and such. What's your view of the gas to chemical sector moving forward? Yeah, I think the uh, natural gas in particular, we think it's the, uh, uh, you know, when you look at the growth in the energy uh, uh, sources going forward, uh, renewable energy definitely is enjoying the highest rate of uh, growth. Next to it is the natural gas. And the natural gas is, uh, uh, the beauty of it, it's the minimum carbon footprint among the fossil fuel, uh, uh, you know, sources. So. Uh, yeah, we remain optimistic about the future of uh, natural gas. Uh, currently, there is an oversupply definitely in the in the in the global market. Uh, if you look at Mubadala Petroleum, the upstream arm of Mubadala, uh, we're gas weighted, so we acknowledge the importance of gas, uh, and so we have big position in Southeast Asia. We have also big position in East Mediterranean, mm -hmm. and uh, you know that reflects the strong belief that gas will play a uh, great role in uh, meeting, I would say, the future energy demand, uh, while also uh, the source of energy with uh, uh, an acceptable level of carbon uh, or CO2 emission. Uh, the, um, as you mentioned, I think for petrochemicals, uh, if you look at the U.S. Uh, industrial activities uh, uh, after the Shell Revolution, I, uh, there is a theme called reindustrialization. Uh, in the U.S. and uh, I would say a significant part of all the industrial activities happened in the petrochemical uh, and the shale, uh, you know, activities. So it enabled and positioned North America as a leading um, and cost-effective, I would say, producer of uh, polyethylene and uh, petrochemical products uh, globally. Um, and we see the trend happening in uh, in uh, uh, elsewhere in, in the world. But yes, I mean it's it's a, it's a remarkable uh, story what happened to the petrochemical and the uh, uh, especially in North America, uh, provided you know that the environment and the uh, the natural availability of natural gas enabled that uh, to to happen. Uh, so, uh, to summarize, I think the natural gas will play a role in meeting the future energy uh, demand and also meeting the uh, petrochemical industrial demand uh, in the future. Yeah, as you, as you said, Mubadala is a strong gas player. I think the direct role in, in LNG ha has been more, more modest. Um, is that an area of focus? Do you see that as an area of expansion for Mubadala? We made, uh, you know, we've been monitoring the space. Uh, we, we evaluated many projects uh, globally. 
uh, I think you know you need to put things in perspective. So with the current uh, projection on the on the on the energy demand going forward, uh, we definitely, as I mentioned earlier, we put more weight on the renewable energy. We also acknowledge that natural gas will play a role, uh, but uh, you know sometimes it's really a challenge to find the right uh, project that meets an investment uh, criteria and attracting the right uh, type of returns uh, that uh, you know you're expecting to generate uh, we have you know evaluated the space we put some investment uh, in the lng and uh, you know we can continue monitoring uh, what's going to happen in the next uh, few years uh, yeah it's very interesting space uh, and uh, you know the world will need more and more lng in the future uh, and uh, but also other sources of energy so uh, yeah i think the lng there are uh, you know big big players in in the in the uh, in the market uh, i'm truly impressed also with the us becoming one of the leading exporters of lng globally and uh, you know uh, thanks again to the share revolution uh, russia as well is becoming and emerging as a, a lng uh, uh, powerhouse and uh, uh, you know hist uh, historically also we've seen other regions uh, like Australia and Africa might become also uh, a, a, a player in the LNG space so uh, for a company like Mubadala we'll look at these projects as long as they meet uh, certain investment criteria uh, we will take our decision accordingly but uh, you know the uh, it's, uh, it's it's an interesting space to, to monitor I think the U.S. is one of those places uh, you've sort of dipped your toe in the water. Tell me if I'm right. I think you have an initial interest in next decade. Do you, do you think U.S. LNG sort of stacks up favorably compared to some of those other opportunities, or is it going to be challenging to see any new investment in U.S. LNG? No, I still uh, maintain the same view. I mean, uh, you see, this COVID-19 is like a high-frequency event, uh, hopefully, in the, in the trend going forward. Uh, so uh, look at the U.S. It's uh, there is an ample supply of uh, natural gas, uh, and uh, the largest gas producer globally. Uh, Shale, of course, enabled that uh, position. Uh, you know the 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 the, uh, uh, the infrastructure the uh, is available, and there are many success stories with the LNG in in the U.S. So there are many op already operation uh, operating. Uh, uh, projects that are making, uh, I would say, uh, 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 strong or additional supply to the uh, to the LNG market globally, and uh, if we get COVID-19 behind us, I think it's going to be interesting to see the uh, uh, that space one more time, and uh, future LNG prices as a result of uh, of uh, demand. So uh, it's a combination of uh, you know parameters, and uh, I still think that the U.S. is an interesting space to uh, to monitor, especially in the natural gas and LNG. Domestically, you have a large share of the market via the Dolphin uh, pipeline, uh, natural gas pipeline, and we've seen in the UAE the restart, the start of nuclear power now, a lot more solar yeah. power. What impact does that have on the changing domestic market for for fuel, the fuel mix for electricity generation? Well, I think it reflects also the uh, confection of the government that uh, they uh, are fully behind 
a vision and strategy that was uh, presented earlier, a few years back, uh, by 2050 to have 50% of the um, energy demand in the, uh, in the UAE or power demand in the UAE uh, green, coming from green uh, sources. Uh, uh, so nuclear will play a major uh, part of that, but also the solar and renewable energy. And 50% uh, remaining is uh, from natural gas. Uh, so with these, uh, I think uh, it's creating a new dynamics, a new uh, landscape. Um, natural gas will continue to play a big role in the industry and in the power generation for uh, many years to come. Uh, so yes, it's, it's a reflection, Jason, of the government vision to uh, embrace uh, the new energy trends and uh, become, I would say, uh, you know, uh, uh, less dependent on, uh, on uh, natural gas because uh, 10 years back, we're almost 100% relying on natural gas for power generation. Going forward, I think uh, uh, strategically, it's important and critical to uh, diversify the energy sources and, uh, you know, have a mix of uh, sources in your uh, energy uh, uh, supply. I mentioned a minute ago, just in closing, we're almost out of time, but you know, you, I know you watch technology trends very carefully. So what are you most excited about? What do you see coming around the corner that maybe we're not talking as much today about, but we will be in a few years in terms of how technology will impact the energy sector, whether it's decarbonization technologies or things that affect demand and, and transportation and autonomous vehicles and the rest. But what do you see, or, or, or uh, artificial intelligence and, and machine learning technologies? <clears throat> What what uh, what are you what are you excited about in the technology space? Well, it's a, a big space to talk about, definitely. And even the artificial intelligence uh, term is uh, very widely uh, used. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think if I would rank two or three of these technologies, I would say artificial intelligence is becoming on the at the top. And uh, why I'm saying this because even in our industry, uh, um, this the oil and gas industry is a labor-intensive industry. Either we like it or we don't. And I see a space that we could automate many of the operation and, you know, and the facilities we operate and see an automated uh, you know, operation and production in the, in the future with a minimum human interaction. That would be, uh, I would say, uh, a, a future that I possibly see in the, uh, in the horizon. Uh, so yeah, the likes of artificial intelligence will make uh, will make uh, uh, a big role in enabling that vision. Uh, the other technology, the technology related to I would say energy uh, going forward, the energy transition. So in the energy transition, of course, we've been a heavy investor in the renewable energy, but if there is something that could potentially accelerate that energy disruption, uh, I would say hydrogen. Hydrogen in the next 10 years, uh, if there is the right commitment, right technology de deployment in that space, we might see uh, hydrogen playing a bigger role in fulfilling the future energy demand for energy. Well, we'll uh, watch the space carefully and hopefully have the chance to talk with you uh, many more times to help us uh, understand how it's all evolving. 
Um, Musa Balkabi, I know uh, how much you have going on, and you've been very generous with your time. So thank you for uh, spending time with us on Adepec Energy Dialogues. I'm sorry we couldn't do it in person, but hopefully we'll see you in Abu Dhabi or maybe at Columbia University in New York uh, very soon and, and see you virtually at the Adepec Virtual Conference in November. Uh, good to see you again. Thank you for being with us. Thank you, Jason, and uh, it's truly an honor again to be part of Adibic and looking forward for uh, the interesting conversation around Adibic uh, coming up. So thanks a lot. Thank you.